0: Welcome, everyone, to the Wild West podcast, where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle travel editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. Today, we're excited to have big wave surfer Bianca Valenti on the podcast. Bianca lives in San Francisco, and she shreds at Mavericks, uh, the famous surf break off of Half Moon Bay that hosts a big wave contest, uh, which draws surfers from around the world. Uh, Mavericks is a notoriously finicky spot. The waves aren't always breaking there, um, but now in early winter is that time when the swells start to roll in and you can get some really epic days with 50-foot waves crashing there. And those are the kinds of conditions where Bianca shines. So not only is she one of the top female big wave surfers in the world, uh, she's leading the charge to get equal treatment for women in pro surfing. So that means equal prize purses at contests, better sponsorship deals, and more media coverage. And this has been a big year for her and her organization, uh, which is called the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing. A few months ago, they pushed the World Surf League, which is like the NFL of professional surfing, to agree to equal prize money for male and female uh, surfers at its contests. And so that's a huge win. Uh, But she'll tell you that changing policy is one thing, but changing the culture of surfing is something totally different. Uh, She's definitely had her share of side eyes and, and bullying when she paddles out, especially
1: at big wave surf spots. The attitude that I like to take is focus on the waves, not the people, because especially at Mavericks, you can get the area where you take off for the wave is really tight. So, all of a sudden, it can be like me and 70 guys in a really small area. And, like, imagine if you're the only female in the locker room. Yeah. You know, you can't, you just kind of can't help but notice that you're not the same. And so, it's like just things to not think about that or not feel that energy and focus on the waves and enjoy those rides.
0: We get into Bianca's experience as a woman elbowing her way into what has traditionally been a male dominated sport. Um, and a whole lot more in the podcast. Uh, it was a really great conversation. Bianca is just buzzing with energy. Uh, so I hope you guys like it. Without further ado, here's Bianca Valenti. Bianca, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm no excited. problem. Um, so it's been a big year for you with your um, Committee for Equity and Women's Surfing. You guys have hit a lot of milestones this year, and so I wanted to talk to you about that today. But um, I guess before we get into it, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, how you got into surfing, how you got into big wave surfing, and how it's been kind of carving a career out of the sport.
1: Yeah, so... Long story short, um, I started surfing when I was seven years old, standing up on a boogie board down in Dana Point, California. And my mom encouraged me to get a hard board, a surfboard. And so we went searching around every single surf shop. I had a $75 budget. Got my board, went down to Delheny Beach, and my mom put her chair in the sand and said you better not make me come and rescue you (laughs) Um, and that was kind of it I went to surf camp the next week and just fell in love with the sport um, from that moment on and I started competing really young and that was like all I wanted to do ever since I was eight years old was be a rock star pro surfer yeah Um, and I was good at it and I, I you know as I as I progressed and as I got older I was winning a lot of events and got sponsors, and then kind of just got to this place where I realized that I didn't because I was a woman, I wasn't or a female. I wasn't gonna have those opportunities to um surf in the pipeline masters or to be on the cover of Surfer magazine because from the time I started surfing until. My teen years, I never saw a change in the way in the lack of representation of female surfers in the media, even though there were surfers out there. Yeah. So that was really heartbreaking as a teenager, just to have this dream that you've been holding on to since you're a little kid. And then, you know, I just kind of crashed at that point and burned out and um, stopped competing. Went on to UC Santa Barbara. And re fell in love with surfing when I was there, surfing on the surf team and you know driving around up north on on the central California coast and that was kind of when I started to dip my foot into big waves with the encouragement of a of a of a hippie neighbor <laughs> and then I came up to Ocean Beach one time. The first time I came to surf in San Francisco was yeah. pretty pretty funny. My dad moved to San Francisco when I was eight. I drove up with a friend from Santa Cruz. We kept seeing all the waves were going off and it was really crowded. And we got to Ocean Beach and it was like these perfect peaks and nobody out. And so we were like, yes, let's go out. And we saw saw these older guys going out on these huge boards and we were like, oh, what are those guys doing? And we somehow managed to paddle out. We got lucky, timed it well. And right when we were almost out to the outside where the big waves break, This wave that was 20 feet tall by 10 feet wide was about to crash, you know, 10 feet out in front of us in the worst possible place. And I'll never forget, because at that moment, my friend Parker looked at me and he said, well, see you on the other side. (laughs) So... I dive under this wave and I just start getting spun every single direction, spinning, twisting, flipping, upside down every which way. I had no idea which way was up. I opened my eyes, it was pitch dark, and then my foot touched the sand, and right as my foot touched the sand, I thought if there's another wave behind this, I will die. And I started slowly swimming towards the surface, got to the surface, my whole entire body was convulsing and twitching, and I was just gasping for air, <gasps> you know. Um, and I looked at Parker. He said, I'm going in. I said, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and then we stood there on the, in the parking lot right in front of the beach chalet, and I said, this is where I want to take my love for surfing. This is the next direction. And this is the next course for me because I know that I'm, I'm such a good surfer. I know I can surf out in those conditions with other surfers who I see in smaller waves. And that was when I started putting in the training in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What was it about uh, that moment, you know, where it's like this near-death experience and then you come out of it deciding that you actually want more?
1: Like, it's really weird, but when you almost die, you appreciate life more. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm so glad to be alive. Yeah. You know, this air tastes so good. And um, it, and then it's also as someone who's just always inspired to progress and to um, master my craft. It was like the obvious next piece of the pie that I wanted to start working on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, well, before we get too deep into that, I mean, we're going to talk about the sort of social culture of surfing, um, and competitive pro surfing, but I I wanted to ask when you were, you know, when you were a kid and you were first getting into it and surfing competitively, were there other girls who were surfing competitively too, or were you kind of one of the only ones?
1: When I started, when I was nine, I was one of the only ones and I would surf with the boys in the boys' divisions. Okay. And I very clearly remember when I was 10... It was the first time I was in at a contest where there was an open women's division and I surfed in both the boys and the open women's. Oh, interesting. And then when I was about thirteen, uh, some events that were just for girls started to come about.
0: Okay. Yeah, and then it seems like we've sort of stalled a little bit until recently. Uh we meaning like yeah. sort of the, the pro surfing circuit. Um has kind of stalled until recently in terms of having like heats that are just for women or contests that are just for women or a circuit or a league that's just for women. And so that's kind of what you've been working on with the committee, right?
1: Yeah. And so not to say just for women, but inclusive of everybody. Yeah. Um, and so in surfing, just like in every other sport, women compete against women and men compete against men. And when you have the opportunity to compete at a wave like Pipeline in Oahu, that's one of the world's best waves. And you bring together all the best athletes, you elevate the sport. So, competition really does drive performance. And with a lack of access to competitions, no one really progresses. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, surfing seems like one of those sports where, like, you know, so much of it is, um, it's like technique and style and finesse. And so, you know, on those terms, it seems like there's, uh, a lot of opportunity for it to be an equal playing field between men and women, and you can really judge performance, like, you know, I think uh, across genders. But I'm not sure, because I, I don't know, like, a ton about surfing, but that's my impression. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, surfing is unique in that um having a low center of gravity is a huge advantage. Uh, men have more strength in the upper body, and so they're always going to be better at paddling and catching the waves, and catching the waves is... 99 percent of the battle um and you know i think it'll be really interesting now that we've achieved equal pay to see what happens in 10 years 20 years 30 uh, maybe women and men will start competing against each other because they will be competing you know or performing at a similar level so uh, it's exciting in that way
0: Yeah. Is that something that you want to see? I feel like that's kind of the next logical step.
1: I want to, what I want to see is equal resources. So I want Hmm. to see equal media coverage and equal opportunity and high profile events and companies using their marketing budgets to support women and men. Because the resources and the opportunities to compete in the exposure, that all helps drive the performance. So we need those in order to accelerate. So it's been stifling without that. It's been stifling the overall sport of women's surfing specifically. And so the men have, you know, really got to this high, high, high level in big waves and small waves um, because they've been getting, you know, the bulk of the support and the resources. So it's going to take time to catch up and I, you know, we'll just see. I think anything's possible, but yeah, I think it's one of those sports that men and women could eventually end up competing against each other. Yeah.
0: That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to ask, I mean, there's been some, some progress some development in the last few years in terms of this parody of pay and opportunity, like you're talking about. Um, but I wondered if you could just kind of characterize like, where professional surfing uh, has been and kind of how it's developed these last few years.
1: Yeah, so to characterize where it has been, um, up until, I mean really I'd say like this year, you've, women in surfing have been portrayed in a very sexualized manner. So they've, there's been reward for your looks and not focused on the performance, and in fact, at a certain point on the tour uh, during the mid to like 2010, the the tour dropped all the really critical waves, the dangerous waves, the ones that women like Kayla Kennelly excel at. And so for her, she dropped off the tour at that point because they were just all in these really small crappy waves. Hmm. So athletes have been supported for their looks not for their skill and that again has has not promoted growth on the women's side um and you know we just we got to this point I mean and like for me especially too I've I faced that as a teen I had sponsors and the sponsors were given better packages to the athletes who had the model looks or the guys and so you just hit you get to a point where you have to work and you have to support yourself and you don't have the time to train at the gym and work out and and yeah. do everything that it takes to be a professional athlete to be the best performer that you can be Interesting So yeah that's, that's so why it's so awesome right now that World Surf League stepped up and created the first ever equal pay plan in any sport, and um, but like I said, that that's really one one piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah. And so, what did it take exactly? You know, sort of on your part and on the part of your organization to kind of nudge the World Surf League towards this decision that it came out with only a few months ago, right?
1: Yeah. So four so four years ago in 2014, um, I hadn't been competing for. A while. I can't say how long, but I was invited to the first women's big wave world tour heat at Nelscott Reef, Oregon. There was a men's division as well. And this was all really, really exciting. Um, but I was injured. I had just I had had a knee injury. And I was three months into it doing rehab, and I get the the email saying, "Hey, we're calling the Nelscott Reef Organ contest on. It's a green light." And
0: and you have and then you have like twenty four hours notice. Yeah, right? you
1: you have seventy two hours. Seventy two. Okay. The next day, I went with all my gear. I hadn't even been in the water for three months. I had just been going to physical therapy, and um, I went out to Bellinas, which is a beginner wave, and I tested out my equipment just a little bit and I thought okay my knee feels pretty good and um, but my paddling is really weak and I could have been paddling all this time so the next day a few friends are driving up and you have to drive it's a 12-hour drive from San Francisco so they pick me up at 4:30 a.m. I hop in a van and we drive all day taking turns driving until we get to Lincoln City And I just remember there was a lot of time to think in that car ride. And I remember (laughs) just thinking, okay, like, no pressure. This is, you do not need to catch a wave if you don't want to. You've never surfed this spot. You've been on injury for three months. No pressure at all. Yeah. Um, And then when we got there, everyone was psyched up and... I ate dinner that night next to the men's big wave world champion, Grant Twiggy Baker, and I just picked his brain the entire time. So morning comes, it's sunny, it's offshore perfect conditions, and they decide women are surfing first. <laughs> so you have we get you have to get on a jet ski and get through this twenty foot shore pound and then you go out a mile out to sea. So on the jet ski ride out, I'm doing the same thing too the safety guy I'm saying hey what do you know about <laughs> this spot and can you tell me anything and he's like yeah you when you're out there look for the reverse mohawk and I was like what is a reverse mohawk and then someone else told me sit on the boils the boils are where the reef shallow and the wave comes up so then all of a sudden I'm out there mile out to sea and I see what he means in the mountains there's this clear cutting of trees and so there's trees on either side, and it's a reverse mohawk. Yeah. Yeah, like a clown hairdo, kind of. Yeah. And so I used the reverse mohawk and the boils, and the horn blows, and it's game on. Everybody's catching waves. And for 30 minutes, I kind of froze up. And I was then, I had this moment where I was like, let's do this. And I paddled and caught the biggest wave of my life to that point. Ended up wiping out, and luckily it wasn't that bad of a wipeout. Um, came up, got the safety, gives me a ride out, and they're like, that was one of the best waves we've seen yet. You need something to back it up, and you, and then you've, you're going to have a chance of winning. And I was like, really? Okay. And then snagged a, one more wave in the last seconds, um everybody was super stoked. It was 8 of us out there in a super heat and when we came in the responses on the beach were so positive, so excited. People were like, "Wow, we didn't know women could surf waves like that. Our minds are blown." And you know, they pulled me aside and they're like, "You won." <laughs> wow. So I get interviewed and there was no money in the event. Um a uh a beer company a local beer company decided to kick down $2000 at the last minute so i got 500 bucks and everybody else got 200 and then that night we had a victory party at the indian local indian casino <laughs> and i was like that's it i'm in these are my people like when's the next event nice and so it really just reignited the competitive fire that i had always had so at that point um we i i talked to i saw like everyone was so excited about how well we did as a whole and so i talked to Paige and keala and andrea and we had this google hangout phone call and i said you know hey let's all make sure we stick together because this is the beginning of a new sport it's women's big wave surfing and you know, at the time, they were kind of like, "We don't know." Like, well, okay, Bianca, whatever, we're not really <laughs> sure what you're talking about. And I was like, "Just trust me." Like, we need to stay together. I grew up as a tennis player. I saw what Billie Jean King has done, and um, we made that pact at that moment. Couple months, So the first, the first event. When when you're a competitor and you win an event, then what do you want to do? You want to go compete again and win again. Yeah, you know. So um, the event that was closest to my house was Mavericks. Yeah. So uh, I started. We started asking the organizers at the time, who were called Cartel Management. Yeah. Griffin. And, yeah. Griffin. Guest. And they uh, they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds great." Um, and in uh, in June of the 2014, I. Jeff Clark was going on the the radio with cartel management, and so I knew the radio guys, and they had interviewed me a couple weeks before, and they said, hey, you should call in and ask Jeff (laughs) if you can be part of the event. And so I was working at my restaurant, and I made sure it was 7.30, I made sure everybody had drinks, food, (laughs) ran out to the side alley, called the radio, they put me right through, I say, hey Jeff, it's Bianca, I'm a huge fan, you're amazing. Since Oregon went so well, can we have a women's division at Mavericks? And he says, yes. And I was like, awesome. And then hang up the phone, go back to work, I'm like, this is great, yeah, easy, no problem. Easy. <laughs> and um, that was just the beginning of what ended up being a four year battle to get inclusion into the event as well as equal pay,
0: yeah, yeah, so um, so kind of I-, I wanted to learn a little bit more about the those four years, like what exactly did it entail to get to where you are right now uh, over those four years because now cartel yeah. is no longer running the right. uh, managing the event. Um, And it's kind of changed hands a bunch of times, but so now it's with the World Surf League, yeah?
1: Yeah, so we created a committee called the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing, and our mission was simple. It was to create a better future for women in surfing. Paige, Keola, and Andrea had all faced the same problems that myself and any other female surfer who started in my age group or is any older um, all their life, which is... The inequality and lack of representation in the media, yeah. lack of opportunity in competitions, lack of support from sponsors. And so and they are elite level athletes as well. Some of the best in the world. So um, they had all been through a similar road, gone down a similar road that I'd gone down and were ready to stick their necks up, necks out to make a change. So. What we did was we very strategically worked with the California Coastal Commission and then the California State Lands Commission to change policy so that no matter who runs an event at Maverick's, they have to run an inclusive event that offers equal opportunity um, because the thing with surfing is that surfing events are held in public spaces and public resources and it's our ocean yeah so <laughs> so you there's you can actually make gain headway through the public space we started advocating to become a part of Mavericks in 2000 and Fourteen, and it changed hands over the course of time. World Surf League bought the Big Wave World Tour and started just honing in on select locations and they actually invited us to compete at Jaws in Maui, which is one of the most amazing big wave in the world. And um, we had just a couple of incidences where it was like, Paige won the event and she got 15000 dollars and then the the men's winner won twenty five thousand dollars and the men's winner was someone who she grew up with and is her neighbor mm. and he's buying a big house down the street and meanwhile she's working at the fish market
0: yeah so um, this is like the same and it's the same waves it's the same water same like waves same
1: or yeah. yeah like there was a, an, an, an article that came out on a popular surf news network. And it was all about the Jaws event saying there were men and women in the story, in the text. And the photos, there's not a single action shot. The only representation of us in that article is Kayala shooting Paige in the face with her champagne. Mm. Now, some amazing rides went down that day. So it was actually pretty confusing People in news like yourself were like, did, did you surf on the same day? Or we're kind of confused. What was up with the women's event? It talks about it, but there's no pictures. Yeah. Um, so there were all these moments where we were, you know, further inspired to activate and to really go for equal pay. Puerto Escondido was another one of them. We get, got invited to the Puerto Escondido Cup this past summer for the first time. Um, and it gets tricky, like for me, working on Mavericks made sense and makes sense because it's in, it's in my backyard. Yeah, You know, and the truth of it is I'm working, I have a job to pay for my surfing. I work a bunch of different jobs and most every other big wave surfer, male or female does too. Um, so it's like, you can only do so much at a time, yeah. you know, so it just makes sense to start small and start local. Yeah. Um, and you get into other countries and that's like, you know, that's a little bit too, too far from my reach. So we get invited to the Puerto Escondido Cup. It's really exciting because I love Puerto Escondido. It's one of the places where I first started really earning, like learning big waves and in fact last summer there you know there's always all these moments that it's hard to feel like you're a part of the group because you're one of always one of the only females out in the water mm-hmm. but last summer i was sitting out there next to greg long during a really amazing swell and i was scared and he was just like this wave came and he was like go you got this you can do this and i I just started paddling as fast as I can. My heart rate jacked up. I drop into it, and as I'm dropping, my fins barely almost catch into the wave. So I'm sliding, grab the wave. The rail starts biting and holding into the wave, and then it's just this huge, long tunnel in front of me. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm way too deep, but this is so (laughs) beautiful. I'm going to keep going, you know, and as long as I can. And the wave spits, which is, like, this turbo-boosting vortex. And I get shot out at the end of the wave. And my other friend Tom Lowy is in the, in the, right there in the channel. And they're all just screaming and hooting. And, and those, those moments of encouragement have been really, really rare as a female surfer. And those are, like, the best moments in the world. Like, if, either you catch a good wave or you see your friend catch a good one. But there's been so much caution and warning and like, hey, what are you doing here? Questioning through the process. Um, by surfers, you mean? By yeah, other surfers. by surfers, by brands. Um, so Puerto Escondido is one of my favorite places. When they told us the event was on and we were invited, I was super excited to get down there. Uh, I ended up, uh, it was, again, huge success. I remember just having like all these pretty good rides, but there, I was kind of, you know, wasn't sure because I was hearing a lot of cheering and screaming. Get into the beach and um, the guy, the male athletes were pumped on our performance. And then we get to the, um, back to the competitors area and they're like, can you put your jersey back on, Bianca? Cause you won. And I was like, what? I won. <laughs> Cause I thought Kay Aller or Isabelle. Um, one, and then, you know, we we go over to the podium And um, the town is packed And just, like, really fun Like, so fun And it was hilarious Because pr- a lot of times at events They'll print a big check for the winner mm-hmm, right. But in this event They printed a check for first through sixth place So sixth place in the women's event Got 50 bucks So there's this huge check <laughs> For this tiny amount of money and uh, you know, it was like the rest of the day was so fun. There was great DJs that night and partying, and then you know, a few. It's like like the next day, and then a couple of days later, I'm like, I'm looking back, and I'm like, man, you know, Lucas got seven thousand dollars, and I got one thousand eight hundred and fifty. So like, I'm gonna pay for my trip barely, but you know, sixth place, my friend Polly, she got fifty. You yeah. know, so it's. <laughs> um, and sixth place in the men's doesn't get that much either, so like the men aren't making like basketball money, but at least if you if you're at the top of the podium you're you're able to at least pay for for more trips to big waves that makes you get better at surfing or to not have three jobs and so yeah, it was just like it kind of hits you a couple of days later where you're just like, eh, that's not not cool yeah. you know we're we're just did the exact same work and got paid. less. Yeah. So after Puerto Escondido event finished, we made a case to say why equal pay is so important. And we took that to the Coastal Commission as well as the California State Lands, who both got on board. And so they told WSL, hey, in order to get the permit for Mavericks, you need to pay equally, which means first and first get the same amount, second and second, all the way through. Um, and so, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen, but WSL decided to institute an equal pay program throughout every single one of their divisions. So, longboard, shortboard, and big waves. Mavericks will be the first event that has equal pay. Okay. And then starting in 2019, every event in WSL junior events. Um, So it's really, really cool, and it's really exciting, and yeah. So right now, that was like a huge weight that lifted because that was four years of fighting and just four years of these moments of, you know, having people come up and and bully or assault, and and in those moments, I would always just play games and and stay, you know, try to like tap into my spirit animal because surfing big waves is scary and it's like it takes all the focus in the world you can't just it's like the last thing you want to do is like be out surfing the big waves and then have a bully try to bully you or totally. like start some shit <laughs> so um so then once the WSL made that announcement it feels like such a more positive forward focused vibe like the anything's possible classic american mentality <laughs> And that everyone's just being supportive and really cool. So now that the window's open for Mavericks and Jaws, I'm really, really excited. In fact, it looks like there's a swell coming next week.
0: When was the last time you surfed Mavericks? Mavericks... Are you out there pretty regularly?
1: Yeah, so I am. I surf Mavericks whenever it breaks. And because of the, I think they're calling it the ridiculously relentless ridge. Yeah. That yeah. high pressure system. So we have not had any significant swells um, yet this year. But there was a day where it kind of broke and I surfed out there that day. I went to Mexico like a week ago to train and practice for big waves just because it's that there's nothing that gets you more in shape or ready to surf big waves than surfing big waves.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask about that like how do you train at Mavericks when it only breaks
1: once every now and then? Lots of imagery, <laughs> visualization. <laughs> um, it's and video, watching video and just really like taking yourself to a place where you can go through a session there, like laying some it's like a meditation, you know. And how do you surf it? You, now you get to choose. How, if I didn't wipe out on that wave, what would it have looked like after I came off the bottom? So mm-hmm. lots of really powerful, really slow, slow drawn-out visualization and imagery um, and taking yourself to those moments and those places where you have a choice to send it or go back to the boat and feel bad about yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you've talked a lot about um like mind games, kind of psyching yourself mm-hmm. up or getting in the right frame of mind yeah. for these waves. So what's your kind of process like mentally when you are preparing and then when you're actually out there? Do you kind of work on this stuff and like train yourself beforehand before you go out?
1: Oh yeah, that's like huge. I've ha- yeah, I love um the the mental side of the game for big waves, I think is the most important. I mean, one could argue that it's the most important in anything. That's what I I like to hold on to is my excitement. And like that same love and that same joy that I found when I was seven years old and rode my first wave, I can get that sensation, but you know, multiplied by all of my years in, in these moments. And so it really, really ignites my fire and my joie de vivre, you know, like um, it's these are the moments that I live for. So I just start getting excited and start thinking about how beautiful it is. It's majestic. When you're out at Jaws or Mavericks and you see this wa- the way the water moves and the hear the sound and you feel the feel the wave breaking, even if you're just close to it or around it, it it's really is really, really powerful and majestic. Um, it's awesome, it, it takes your breath away. So I love being close to it no matter what. And, yeah, that's what I start to think about is how beautiful those waves are. And then I start to think about, well, like, if I caught it, what lines would I want to take and really imagine how I could dance with that wave. Um, And then sometimes I'll take myself through. Once you have enough wipeouts, you don't really need to visualize your wipeouts. (laughs) Because I feel like wipeouts are kind of one of those things where it's like, you got to stay calm no matter what to survive, and sometimes you can get lucky, and sometimes you get unlucky. Um, because you can wipe out on a small wave and get injured, but yeah. yeah. Um, do you have? It sounds like you have different. Soul oh yeah, animals. so yeah, so I like to talk yeah about that too. So like, and th- those <laughs> kids, yeah, spirit <laughs> animals, spirit animals. sorry. Hey,
0: <laughs> do you know yours? <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't. I've no, I haven't given it a lot of thought, but. From what you described, it sounds like you have sort of like different ones. It's like a roster of Pokemon or something (laughs) like that that you can like pull from, you know, to get you different results or like to sort of summon different feelings or whatever.
1: Right. Yeah. So like when you're when you're out in the um, when you're out in really big waves, there's a level of primal um, sensation that comes in. It's that flight or fight response that, you know, humans have faced since the beginning of time. And I like to think of what natural occurring phenomenons or animals in nature or sometimes it's other human beings that their spirit is what is going to help me perform. So I feel like I can tap into different spirit animals at other times, but it just it keeps it fun. It keeps it light. I'm like I'm the Malolo bull kitty like. I'm gonna catch this fifty foot wave and it's like what? You know, it's 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 a way of keeping it fun and then just going for it and creating belief that at the end of the day it's like it gets me excited, it creates belief, makes me laugh. It's silly, you know? Um and also, you know, another so I started the spirit animal track when I first when we first started trying to get access into the Mavericks event, Mm -hmm. there were definitely moments where I'm facing an unpleasant interaction. And those could also come with me out in the lineup. So I was working with a sports psychologist. I still do. uh, And he was like, let's find you a spirit animal in this moment. And so my first one was the killer bee. And it (laughs) was like, the killer bee, because I'm, cause I'm so nice and I'm an extrovert and, like, I would never want to be mean to anybody in person. And so it's like, well, how am I going to let people know that, like, when I'm out here, I'm here to focus and I'm here to do my, like, do what I came out to do so that way I don't go into the beach and become upset with myself, right? So because I was talking or, like, being social. Mm-hmm. So the first one that we decided it was the killer bee and it was, like, don't come near me. This aura <laughs> is like, there's this field around me where it's like, you don't want to fuck with me because I could kill you. Now it's not the time that she wants to socialize or be asked out on a date. Yeah, right. You know, so like, maybe I'll talk to her on the beach because she's always nice there. So it's just like, your, your, your attitude while you're performing your sport. Yeah. Um, just that attitude. Attitude's everything. So, like, whatever can help someone tap into the right attitude that's going to consistently get you to perform at a level that you feel good about, that, that's that been a really fun game for me. Interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> do, you, um, do you share tips with the other surfers about how to prepare and kind of get in the mental headspace? You guys are out there talking. You know, even though you're competing, it's not the same vibe as like, um, it's sort of like competing for the prize, like not necessarily competing to beat one another, you know? Which is something I think is kinda cool about surfing. And so what's it like when you're out there in the lineup and you guys are talking and kinda sizing up the waves and everything?
1: It can be a range, it it, it depends on the lineup, it depends on the day. Like Uh if Mavericks is breaking on a kind of a small day, you're gonna kinda get the veterans who, are soul surfers who never had a big wave world tour and there's a lot of cheering and laughter and hooting and hollering if it's going to be the biggest day of the year people are going to fly in from all over the world and it is like a battlefield out there it's you know it can feel really really intense there's a lot of testosterone there's a lot of people who are out there to prove something um, or to support their family you know so it's like the the attitude that I like to take is focus on the waves, not the people, because especially at Mavericks, you can get the area where you take off for the wave is really tight, hmm. so all of a sudden it can be like me and seventy guys in a really small area and like imagine if you're the only female in the locker room. yeah, you know you can't you just kind of can't help but notice that you're not the same. And so it's, like, just things to not think about that or not feel that energy and focus on the waves and enjoy those rides. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like very – it's, like, a very positive spin on the whole thing. That's what makes me feel good. I like being positive, and and I like all those guys, too, and they're all really cool and, like – It's kind of like there's um, that snowboard term, no friends on a powder day. Yeah, yeah. I was It's not like I'm not your friend out there, but, like, I'm focused. I'm in the zone. I'm focusing. And it's also a safety thing. Like, you know, if I start losing my focus, Mm -hmm. that's when the risk goes up.
0: Yeah. 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 Is there anything in particular about Mavericks that you've been thinking about in terms of, you know, as you've been, like, visualizing how you're going to how you're going to perform, how you're going to compete that you've been thinking about yeah. in particular.
1: Well, Mavericks is so part of the exciting part about Mavericks is that because it's that tight takeoff zone, it's going to going to be so special to just get to be out there with five other people that never happens and yeah. then to have it be five other women who are at my level of surfing. I yeah, I have been thinking about that and it's like it's Mavericks comes out of really deep water and it, when it when the wave arises it's really really thick and it just heaves over it goes like square it turns like a square wave it's not like it rolls in mm-hmm. slowly so it's so exciting because when you start paddling for the wave and then start to drop it is like that feeling of a roller coaster when you're like tick 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 tick, tick and then you're at the top and then it's like Boom! drop, <laughs> and you're just like flying down the face of this huge wave, looking at this beautiful wall ahead, and you hear the noise that's just like and <laughs> um, it's fast, but there's a really long wall, so you can do a turn. There's also a really heavy section right at the beginning called the bowl, where you don't want to get caught behind, otherwise you end up getting sent 30 feet down and held wow. under, possibly for multiple waves. So... Yes, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I'm gonna go take lines to places that people haven't seen before. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna draw some really beautiful lines on some amazing waves. That's my plan. It's a good plan. Yeah, and catch waves and just yeah, the best. From when you're in a contest, you want to really capitalize on that hour where you not where you have the lineup to yourself. Yeah. Basically.
0: Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So that's where I was going with this, is there's kind of a certain amount of pressure on the six of you to perform. Like, this is, you know, all eyes are going to be on you to a certain extent, and this is going to kind of inform, uh, you know, what happens in this conversation about women competing in, in big wave events going forward.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, so pressure can propel performances, and pressure can destroy careers, Um for me, I love I love when people watch me surf. Like, I was always that kid that was like, hey, mom, did you see my waves? And if she said anything about anybody else's waves, I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I love having people there to cheer me on. I think that's what a lot, if you want to be a professional athlete, you kind of got to love that. Like, the attitude is like, hey, I'm here, I'm doing this for me, but I'm also, these people are psyched and they want to see what I can do and I'm going to show them what's up. You know? Yeah. So that's why we put in all the training and all the hours and all the the obsession is, like, for those moments that are just really re- rewarding where you're like, Bianca, I saw your wave. That was awesome. And for a lo- long, long time, that's what would carry me through surfing was, like, I knew I was good because even though I didn't get – even though I wasn't getting, like, the covers of magazines, I was always having – people come up to me and tell me like, wow, I've never seen someone surf as good as you, especially not a woman. And those moments just make you feel good and they just make you feel supported. And it's like, it's, it's fun being a cheerleader and it's fun having cheerleaders, boys or girls, you know, whoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, not to get too
0: far ahead of Mavericks and um, ahead of the window, but have you thought about your next goal, the committee's next goal? Like what's the next uh, objective or sort of initiative that you guys are working on?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so, what I think we what we've discussed is potentially changing our name from the Committee for Equity and Women's Surfing to the Committee for Equity and Women's Sports, mm. and taking the template that me, we made within California and putting that forth to apply to other sports that use outdoor resources.
0: Yeah, like um, which ones are you thinking about?
1: And mountain biking, volleyball, um, you know, you name it. Um, And then it goes beyond that because taxpayers, we pay for stadiums and those stadiums pretty often get used exclusively for men's sports. So it's, it's really about inclusion And it's about my, like, where I feel passionate is I love performance. And so I know that it takes resources to support performances. So that's where I think we have been doing ourselves a disservice is by not supporting a whole half of the population in their quest to become the best athlete they can be. Yeah. So um, we'll see where that goes. And then, you know, I would love to see the Olympic committee, for example, step up and say we're requiring all sports that compete in the Olympics to pay men and women equally. Like how huge would that be? Yeah, yeah. So that's where my head's at nice. <laughs> in terms of change making. Yeah. Is we'll start with California on, with the template that we have created because it makes sense. And then we'll we'll just go step by step. But the really cool part about getting equal pay and the leverage and the lobbying, the successful lobbying that we did is that after we got equal pay, after the WSL decided to give equal pay, all of these other amazing talented people have stepped up and said, hey, we wanna support this mission as well. So we've got a way bigger team now of you know senators and politicians and activists and lawyers and so we're going to be really really strong in being able to advocate for positive change that's awesome yeah
0: well you guys have been doing i mean again this year has been a huge year for you guys Mm -hmm. um so i know you have other stuff to do and i want to let you get out of here and get (laughs) to it (laughs) um but thanks so much for coming by and good
1: luck in the competitions thank you so much really appreciate it maybe next week
0: Thanks again to Bianca for making the time to come on the podcast. If you want to keep up on what she's up to, follow her on Instagram at Bianca Valenti. Uh, To see what her organization is about, go to surfequity.org. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. Our music today is a track called Coming Home by Ryan Anderson, and it comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive. See you next time.